right, what's going on? You listen to King Cam on June Bay Podcast, and June Bay means message. And today's message is the mysteries of Maroe. Um, last week we just got into an introductory session, and we will be going through the book called The Lost Cities of Africa by Basil Davison. Um, and so we're gonna get right into it. And so here it is. All right, I'm glad that you guys are here with me one more time. Much love. Shout out to all the fam, all the Unjumbe people everywhere uh, in the diaspora. Uh, we had a great time today at school. We had a great time at the, uh, at the school and our wonderful Pan-African bookstore came through, presented to our children, talked to them about culture, showed them culture. That's what it's all about. And our, and our young people really enjoyed it. And so, um, but yeah, we're going to get right into it. This last week, we did the introduction to uh, the night school session. This is part two. This is part two. Uh, we're we're now everywhere. We're on YouTube. Uh, pod, uh, we're every uh, podcast platform. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. But I don't want to hijack your time. Let's get right to the business. All right. Let me now. This is an introduction to African history, yeah? And it is geared just for you, just for you. Um, if, if you have never, ever taken an African history course or listened to a lecture, this is just for you. This is like African history 101. And this is, this is designed to foster a life of learning, all right? So today, we're going to deal with the introduction uh, to African history, it will be once a week, once a week, uh, sometimes maybe twice. And we will go over a few readings on the continent. Uh, I know that there's a lot of knowledge out there, a lot of great books out there, and um, they're great. And so uh, I encourage you guys to get one, to read one. We did some suggested readings last week, and um, I think you guys will enjoy this one. All right. And, our, and some people, but ask me, uh, are there any other civilizations in Africa outside of Kemet? And the answer is yes. There are many other civilizations in Africa other than Kemet. And this, I think this book kind of uh, touches on those ideas. So The Lost Cities of Africa, that's the book we're using by Basil Davidson. Okay, very good book. It covers a lot of different regions, the major regions of the of Africa, east eastern region, um, west, north, and south. He kind of compartmentalized those those regions for us. Um, he doesn't really stay too long in one area. He kind of is more of a brief overview of all of them. I like the book. All right. So the question. According to, we're going to be dealing with chapter two. So chapter two uh, in Basil Davidson's book, The Lost Cities of Africa, chapter two. Let me see what chapter two deals with right here, 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 uh, the mystery of Moroi. And so he opens up in this chapter dealing with the lords of the southern frontier, the lords of the southern frontier. And so we're going to, we're going to answer the question, who were they and why were Egypt, Libya and Kush connected? In his book, he put all three of those areas together. Hmm. I wonder why is that? And so we will identify and discuss major concepts in the book entitled Lost Cities of Africa, Chapter 2. 
And let's get right to it. The mystery of Moroi. Why did he use this title for this chapter? It's, you know, instead of like the typical title of the mystery of Egypt or the mystery of the Nile, uh, you guys kind of give me your response in the chat. Um, tell you know, give me because in this book, he said he goes, he leaves with this card, the mystery of Moroi. Um, and, you know, I would think that normally we when we hear the mystery of the Nile, we just we gravitate towards the northeastern part of Africa. When we think of the dynastic period, when we think of the golden ages of Kemet. But but the but the Moreau is a mystery though. When you think about it, it really is. Um when you when you think about Moreau, you really don't hear much about it. You know, this is my first, my very first time ever hearing about Moreau, it was in college. I knew about Egypt. I knew about the pyramids of Giza. I knew about the Sphinx, the Heru and Maquette. I knew about the priests. I knew about Luxor. I knew about all this. It wasn't until I got to little old Paul Quinn College in Texas where I found out there was a Moroi. Hmm, that's the mystery right there. Uh, maybe because there's not a lot of data, I think. Not a lot of information on just that. It's, 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 get, it's getting there, though. You know, um, scholars are doing the homework and doing the great work of communicating with the people. But uh, the Moroic script, it looks like hier uh, hieroglyphics or the Maduna Church, but it's not the same. We know it's an African language, but very few people really talk uh, the Moroic or Nubian language like that to really decipher that. So uh, challenge for somebody uh, who got the time and the and a little bit of the patience. Uh, and so go out there to Sudan and get that information for us and bring it on back. All right, the mystery of Moreau. Why the mystery of Moreau? Why is that? Okay, Queen Hatshepsut called this place God's land or Tatnaturk. Okay, I'm going to read this. It says, she says this, barely heavily with marvels of the land, a punt and goodly fragrant woods of God's land. This is what she calls this place, Meroe. Heaps of myrrh, resin, and fresh resin, myrrh trees, and with ebony and pure ivory, with green gold of emu, with cinnamon wood and incenses and eye cosmetics. She love, I guess she, she like just like our sisters now. She love a little makeup, right? <laughs> and apes and monkeys and dogs and skins of the southern panther. When natives and their children. She's talking about what was being loaded onto the ship. So there was, she called this place God's land, right? And so this shows a connection of the nations along the Nile Valley. So that, you know, even though we may not understand everything, but we do know and realize that the queen during one of their golden ages, called this place, the place of the South, God's land. And, and it, there, there was a relationship, there was a fellowship among them. And Moroi is, like I mentioned before, a really big mystery. But wait a minute, wait a minute. We can't just graze over her name like that. Okay? We can't do that. Queen Hatshepsut's throne name. You know, I had to do that. I had to, you know, because names are important, y'all. Queen Hatshepsut, that's what 
they would call it. That was that was what they would uh, phonically say. That's what that's how they would they would say this Queen Hatshepsut. Now, if we if we actually addressed her, what would be her name? How would her name be pronounced? What how would she be pronounced it? Now, her full name, get this, her full name is Ma'at Kara Sarah Hat Sepset Kenim or Kanum Amen. Got it? It's Ma'at Kara Sarah Hat Sepset Kenim Amen. What does that mean? That means just the spirit of God, son of the son, Sarah, son of the son, the house of childbirth, fertility of the hidden one. That was her name. That was her name. Names mean something. We Africans just don't name people just because nowadays they do. But the ancient ancestors named them something and it meant something. It gave them power. It showed them, hey, this person is important. And so names are important. Uh, I try my best as an educator to pronounce our children's names because no matter if um, if it's of a different dialect than mine or or it has more syllables, I try to pronounce their name because names are important. And that's how we establish relationships. That's how we establish relationships with our students and our people is to pronounce their names, to know who they are. And so that was her throne name. All right, check it. All right, chapter two. Who, now, let's get down to the business. He asked a question. He mentioned the lords of the southern frontier. But who were they? Who were these lords of the southern frontier? See, we have to understand that uh, Egypt didn't just start on its own. It didn't just happen all of a sudden. There were leaders and elders that came from the South. Who were they? The Lords of the Southern Frontier. They came from the South. They came from the Deep South, like I was saying. The seat of power was not in the Nile Delta, but in Tasseti or Nubia, okay, or Meroe. That's where the seat of power is. Matter of fact, the, the, the kings would would have their power established in Thebes or Waset, not further up north. Okay, the king or the insubiti legitimacy was matrilineal. Like most, 90% of, um, say, the African nations or even rulership, most of them are matrilineal. Not to say that the woman was the sole ruler, but the claim to the throne, the claim to power came through his mother, the king's mother, or his wife. And, and in this case, in the case of Kemet, both had to be from either Nubia or Ethiopia, hence the South. Not from the North. Not to say that their second wife was saved from somewhere else, but the, the chief wife and his mama was from the South. Okay? Let, let's think about that one for a second. Yeah? So the lords of the southern frontier, they came from the south. They, uh, Basil Davidson said so. We're not, we're not talking about some random cat on the bus stop uh, on TikTok saying that, hey, they came from the south. Scholars are saying this. 
Matter of fact, this guy is a, a European. Okay? Uh, just in case we don't want to believe what our brothers and sisters have been saying, let me get some scholarship from the Europeans, all right? But they did come from the southern frontier. Now, David, I mean, Basil Davidson says the origins, on page 27, if you have the book, page 27, the origins of the dynastic Egypt of the centralized state over which divine pharaohs were ruled nearly 3,000 years. The origins of the dynastic Egypt of the centralized state over which divine pharaohs were ruled nearly over 3,000 years. They came from the south. Now, I pause here to look at this this uh, this iconic figure here. This is Nerman or Menes. He is the first pharaoh or the insubiti of the dynastic period. Look at his face. Okay. Look at his face. Look at his beard, his profile. Matter of fact, look at homeboy. He is putting uh, putting that work on. Look at the other image here. Look at his face. He has leopard skins. Leopards are prominent where in the south. He has an oxtail here. He has the image of Haru there. So therefore, this culture has been duly established long before the first dynasty, before he got here. He just was brilliant enough to put everybody together. But the lords of the frontier, from the southern frontier, let's be specific, let's get down with it. These divine pharaohs would be the Shimsu Haru or the followers of Horus, according to the Book of Common for by day, or in modern times, John Jackson's introduction to African history, the followers of Haru were those, those lords of the southern frontier. That's who they were. It were these gentlemen, these men, that, that rose up over time from the South to, to uh, lay the groundwork to establish what we know as a state called Kemet, as an empire called Kemet, okay? According to uh, Davidson, they traversed the land and some came from Libya, but the majority came up from the South along the Nile River, trading and settling as they went. But these men, these kings reigned over centuries. Uh, according to some sources, it was between 41, between 40 and 43 Shimsu Haru. We don't know their names. This is the pre-dynastic period. And let me go back to the slide real quick, y'all. Let me go back to this culture was already set in stone, as you can see. You have his crown here. You have Haru there. Matter of fact, we have the ox there, the cow, or het, uh, Heteru, already established. So this is before the pyramids, before all this is happening. The culture was already there. We just don't know their names. We don't know their titles. We don't know how long they reigned, but we know that they were recognized as the followers of Horus. So therefore, the culture of Haru was already established. Hmm. And so what can we say about that? What we can say is the culture of Egypt or Kemet was an African culture. It just got better over time. Right? So 
the lords of the southern frontier came from the south. They didn't come from uh, Mesopotamia. They didn't come from Greece. Greece didn't exist yet. They came up south, right? So, uh, and now, Basil Davidson, he, he does not really uh, stop into every major civilization, but he does note that the majority came from the south. And this trade continued along the Nile River Valley all the way until the uh, reign of Ramses II. Okay? Now, this link in the same chapter, he discussed the link between Egypt, Libya, and Kush. That's pretty interesting because nowadays a lot of people would try to separate Egypt from Libya and Egypt from Kush, but this scholar here puts them together. How and why were they put together? First of all, they, they had a very similar culture, similar language. But another thing, economically, they had trade relationships, trade between nations that lasted for centuries, which is a good thing. Okay. Um, in his book, he mentioned there was iron smithing in the South and silk over here. Matter of fact, had chips who even mentioned some of those things, spices and cinnamons and all these wonderful things and, and people with skill set all over this place. This is before state lines were drawn. This is long before that. So the queen uh, mentioned that trading was happening and there were other sources that mentioned this trade, but she even called this place, these places, the land of the spirit or the spirits. So it's very important to understand that, the, that, that there was some respect and love there. Okay. Now, he mentions, Basil Davidson mentions Maroi. What about them? Because my, but I have an issue with him separating Maroi from Cush. Because Maroi and Cush were the same place, as if they were separated. The seat of power in let's let's get into ancient Maroi though. The seat of power in ancient Maroi were were it was in Khartoum. Okay, that's where the Nile River start to split, and they had the same culture as Kemet. This um, image here dealing with Amun, the Ram, and uh, Taharka. This is a Nubian image. This is not. In Luxor, I said this was found in Nubia, and they also had a priesthood or Kari Heb, and the culture was already established before coming to Kemet. But he mentions that the you know the culture was was solidified in Egypt. No, the culture was solidified in Kemet, uh, in uh, in Kush, in Meroe. It just got bigger and grander. Okay, so Meroe was not a separate nation from Kush; they was one and the same. And their seat of power or their capital was in Khartoum, further into Sudan. And they had the same culture as Kemet. So we already know the lords of the south, the frontiers of the south came from the south. And Moroi was uh, a very powerful nation as well. And they had culture as well. Matter of fact, their culture was the same as Kemet. It's like this. People in, 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 uh, in Texas... Um, especially African Americans uh, in Texas, we may we in North Texas we may say uh, certain things one way, like soda, 
But say in New Orleans, they will say cold drink. You know, same thing, but it's expressed differently. And so we have to understand that this language uh, differentiation was still happening thousands of years ago. And so um, they're not separate. They're the same. Now, my favorite, this, this gets interesting as the chapter moves on, as the chapter progresses, he goes into the Western expansion. Now, a lot of people would love to separate Kemet Kush from the rest of Africa. But Africans in Africa don't do that kind of thing. We like to migrate. We like to fellowship. We like to help each other out. We like to share that Mbutu, that communal way of life uh, happens. So the Western expansion was happening. When, like I tell my students all the time, when Greece and Rome finally invaded and took over, people left. Either they went back home in the South or they moved westward. westward. But why do I have this image here on why do I have the ram on, why, do I, why am I using the ram? Why am I using that? Because the Nile Valley influence moved westward and as Kemet, as a country fell to the hands of the foreigners, their culture would move westward also. It just didn't fade. It just didn't stop. Because I told you before, Kemetic, Kemetic culture was an, and is an African culture. So for example, for my, my 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 beloved people in Chad, uh, in uh, in Nigeria, the Sao people in Chad would make their clay pottery like the people along the Nile, according to Davidson. But let's go further west. Even further west, the Yoruba people would have their divine kings and priests uh, of the ram and of the sun. So, and this is a bonus, the Congo. The Bakongo people, there's some comedic culture in Bakongo also. Because I told you, the, the Nile River goes from south to north. It goes from the foothills on the mountains of the moon. It goes from Uganda. It goes from Kenya all the way up north to uh, the Mediterranean. But along the way, all these cultures are pouring into it, just like the Nile will pour into Africa. And so... The cultures were being exchanged. You see some similarities here and there. And as Egypt was on their last leg, they just it just just spread out. So there is some similarities on how they handled their rulers and how they would handle uh, their business. Yeah. So um, that was chapter two. Basil Davis, Davis's Lost Cities of Africa. Uh, but let's recap. What is the main idea of chapter two? We talked about the, a little bit about the mysteries of Moroi, saying that the kingdoms came from the south, the rulers came from the south. Remember, we have to understand that these lords of the southern frontier came from multiple gnomes. I would like to say neighborhoods. Okay, there was about over 40 gnomes, 40 neighborhoods. And they finally came together under one banner, under uh, the pre uh, uh, in the first dynasty. They all united, and that that king was called the king of the north and south, the Insutbiti. Okay, the king of the north and south. You see images of 
uh, of some some figures tying the ha uh, the happy or the Nile River together. Okay, the, the lords of southern frontier were the Shemshu Haru. The forty to forty three kings are named, but they was important enough for, to be documented throughout the centuries of founding or or establishing or beginning this great empire called Kemet. They were the Shemshu Haru, and then uh, Narmer, and then so on. How was Egypt, Libya, and Kush connected? Through trade and culture. Okay? And you guys could add more. Like, comment, subscribe. You can add more to the good stuff. All right? How were they connected? Through trade and culture. And what about Moroi? Moroi was an empire just like Kush is, just like Kemet, just like the Zulus, and everywhere else. All right? So what's next? You got homework. <laughs> you have homework. If you have this book, I challenge you to read chapters three and four. All right? Because it's going west now. He he touched on Kemet a little bit. He touched on the northern part of Africa. But like I said before, he's, he's breaking things down regionally. So we're going to get westward. We're going to deal with the Yoruba. We're going to deal with the Bilal is Sudan. We're going to deal with that. And I'm very happy. I'm very excited about it. Okay? So, get this. You listen to King Cam and Jumbe's podcast. When Jumbe means message and today's message is the mysteries of Maroi. And I'm glad that you guys are here and I'm very excited. And we're going to get this nice school situation going for a few more weeks. And and I hope to see you guys soon, and I will talk to you guys later. Peace.